Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Jason Van Bemmel, the pastor of Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It's our 711th day together in God's Word, and we're back in the wonderful book of Isaiah, looking at chapter 29. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful book, for what we've been learning together as we go on chapter by chapter, and on Sunday mornings as I've been preaching through Isaiah for a while, and we're taking a break right now for Advent, but we've been learning so much together as a church. It's such a wonderful, powerful book. We pray that as we turn to chapter 29 today, you would write it on our hearts, and that you would show us your will for us, and that you would help us to trust you more and walk with you more closely. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Isaiah 29. Oh, Ariel, Ariel the city where David encamped. I have some nice tea this morning, by the way. Add year to year, let the feasts run their round. Yet I will distress Ariel, and there shall be moaning and lamentation, and she shall be to me like an Ariel. And I will encamp against you all around, and will besiege you with towers, and I will raise siege works against you, and you will be brought low. From the earth you shall speak, and from the dust your speech will be bowed down. Your voice shall come from the ground like the voice of a ghost, and from the dust your speech shall whisper. But the multitude of your foreign foes shall be like small dust, and the multitude of the ruthless like passing chaff, and in an instant, suddenly, you will be visited by the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquake and great noise, with whirlwind and tempest and the flame of a devouring fire, and the multitude of all the nations that fight against Ariel, all that fight against her and her stronghold and distress her shall be like a dream, a vision in the night, as when a hungry man dreams and behold he is eaten, eating and awakes with his hunger not satisfied, or as when a thirsty man dreams, and behold, he is drinking, and awakes faint with his thirst not quenched, so shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. Astonish yourselves and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep, and has closed your eyes, the prophets, and covered your heads, the seers. And the vision of all this has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. When men give it to one who can read, saying, Read this, he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. And when they give the book to one who cannot read, saying, Read this, he says, I cannot read. And the Lord said, Because this people draw near to me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. All who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, say, ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, and who say, Who sees us? Who knows us? You turn things upside down. 
Shall the potter be regarded as the clay, that the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me? Or the thing formed of him who formed it, he has no understanding? Is it not yet a very little while until Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest? In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. For the ruthless shall come to nothing, and the scoffer cease, and all who watch to do evil shall be cut off, who by a word make a man out to be an offender, and lay a snare for him who reproves in the gate, and with an empty plea turn aside him who is in the right. Therefore thus says the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall be no more ashamed, no more shall his face grow pale, for when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name. They will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. Those who go astray in spirit will come in understanding, and those who murmur will accept instruction. That is Isaiah 29. So I just recently preached this chapter, and uh, when I did so, I sort of said that the, the major theme here is that the Lord is able to save his people from anything, from all dangers and threats, external and internal. Ariel, the city is called here Ariel. Ariel is, is a word that scholars debate exactly what it means, um, but it, it can mean um, altar hearth, but it can also mean lion of God or hero. And I actually think that in this context, it means both, depending upon where you are. So, uh, Ariel, Ariel, that is the Lion of God, the Hero of God, the city where David encamped. Jerusalem saw themselves as being this great, powerful city of God because David, it was David's city, and David was the great warrior of God, and this was his city. And so, he says he's going to distress Ariel, and then, at the end of verse 2, she shall be to me like an Ariel. And there it is like an altar hearth. So I think this same word is being used sort of as a play on words. This great lion of God, this great warrior city, is actually going to be reduced to being an altar hearth because the nations are going to come against it. So there's two threats against God's people that are in view in Isaiah 29. One is an external threat, and this is where the people's focus and the people's fear primarily is, this external threat of enemies, nations, coming against Jerusalem. In the historical context of this chapter, it's the Assyrian Empire, and the Assyrian Empire is a multicultural empire made up of many different nations, and so they're coming against Jerusalem, they will encamp, and Jerusalem will be brought low. Jerusalem will be desperate. We know we read about this later, just a few chapters from here now. Uh, it's in um, Isaiah 37, that 
Jerusalem is surrounded by the Assyrians who are on the march and this overwhelming army. And they're so, they have Jerusalem so outnumbered and so outmanned. They've already cleared out all the fortified cities of Judah. So it's just Jerusalem that's left. And the Rabshakeh, who's kind of the secretary of state slash commander of the armies, uh, he's both chief diplomat and also has a military role. He sends word to the officials in Jerusalem and he says, um, I'll ask my master and he'll give you 2,000 horses for battle if you can find qualified men to ride them. And he says, you can't even oppose the least captain in my master's army. And that was not just empty boasting. That was real. Like Jerusalem wouldn't have been able to have 2,000 qualified horsemen. And they're being opposed by an army of, of hundreds of thousands but just when they are absolutely overwhelmed, just when they, you know, verse five, the multitude of your foreign uh, foes like small dust, like passing chaff in an instant, suddenly, this is just all going to go away. Because compared to the Lord, Jerusalem might be helpless. Jerusalem might not even have 2000 warriors. They can sit on horseback. They might be outnumbered, but... <sighs> The greatest army in the world, the greatest army in the history of the world to this point, is nothing to God. Nothing. It's just small dust. It's just passing chaff. And the Lord sweeps it away. We know that one angel of the Lord came down and in one night wiped out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. They woke up in the morning. There were 185,000 dead. And so they just got up and left. They went home because they knew they were up against something that was greater than they could possibly even imagine. The Lord is able to deliver us from external foes. So if there's something out there in the world that you're afraid of, maybe it's political realities, maybe it's changing cultural realities, maybe it's economic realities, maybe it is this international situation, the ongoing conflict in Israel with Gaza or the ongoing conflict in Ukraine or the rise of China in the world, whatever these external things are, that might have you concerned. Is recession coming? Is the persecution of Christians going to continue to intensify in America? Are we going to lose our rights? Uh, is, you know, whatever, fill in the blank, this external threat that seems overwhelming, it is too much for us. We cannot simply say, I'm not going to take it anymore. I've had enough of this any more than Jerusalem could say to the Assyrians. We're not going to take it anymore. We've had enough of this. That's not how it works. Jerusalem had to trust God. King Hezekiah and Isaiah went and poured out their complaint before the Lord and the Lord answered. It is the Lord's job to answer. And he is able to deliver. But the longer part of this chapter, starting in verse 9, is not dealing with the external threat. It's dealing with the internal problems in Jerusalem, where the, the people of God are drunk but not with wine. They stagger but not with strong drink. They don't have good spiritual leadership. The eyes of the prophets have been closed. The seers have been covered. In other words, 
The real problem facing the people of God is their own blindness, stubbornness, rebellion, and their lack of understanding of the Word of God, and their lack of even desire to really understand the Word of God. God blinds those who don't really want to see. And God closes off his word from those who don't really want to receive it. That's what's really going on here. And so God says why he's doing this. It's because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. That's verse 13. That's the real problem. They're going through the motions of a religion that does not actually move them closer to God in their hearts, and they don't really fear the Lord as the people of God. And so this is the deeper, this is the darker, this is the root problem. The big problem is not the problem out there, it's the problem in here. And that's the same thing for the people of God today. The biggest problems facing the church are not cultural realities external to the people of God. They are the worldliness, the compromise, the deafness to the word of God that is thriving within the hearts of God's people. That's the real problem. It is, verse 15 says, Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, who do deeds, whose deeds are in the dark, and who say, who sees us, who knows us. It's when we act like God doesn't see and God doesn't know what we're really like and how we really are. This is the reason why judgment comes. The external problems that they faced were really because of this internal spiritual reality. But even this deep, dark, stubborn, sinful pride that is the real root of cause of all their, their problems, even this is not too difficult for the Lord. Because look at what verse 18 says. In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. The same God who is able to wipe out the Assyrian army in a night with one angel is also able to open the ears of those who are willfully spiritually deaf, open the eyes of those who are willfully spiritually blind, and bring lost sinners to salvation and to heart change. God is able to make it so that verse 22 says, Jacob shall no more be ashamed. We will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob. We will stand in awe of the God of Israel. Those who go astray in spirit will come to understanding, and those who murmur will accept instruction. That's the real miracle of salvation. 
is not that our external circumstances would get better. Like that's what we so easily focus on. We want our external circumstances to get better. But the real miracle of salvation is that God would change our hearts and our minds and our outlook and our trust in him and our responsiveness to him, that he would change us and save us even from ourselves. And he's able to do it. So I think the most important thing we need to be praying for and seeking the Lord for and expecting is for God to revive his church, to bring revival, to bring repentance, to bring reformation, to bring a restoration to his church in the midst of this time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are able to open the eyes of the blind. You are able to open the ears of the deaf. You are able to turn hard hearts into hearts of flesh. You're able to turn stubborn, rebellion people, rebellious people into willing and joyful worshipers. Would you do that work? Would you do that work, Father, at Forest Hill Presbyterian Church, in my own heart, in my family, in, in our church, and in all the churches where your word is proclaimed and where Jesus is exalted and where your gospel is preached and where you are believed? Would you kindle in our hearts real repentance of our worldliness and selfishness and real faith in you for who you are and what you do for us? We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for joining me for Isaiah 29. Tomorrow, Isaiah 30. Hope you can be there for that. Have a blessed day in the Lord.